Welcome to day 155 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are Job chapters 13 through 15. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. Chapter 13 returns to Job's response to the first speech of Bildad. In this section, Job criticizes his friends for taking God's side instead of supporting him. If they would just keep their mouths shut and listen to his laments, maybe they would understand his position. Instead, they keep giving him worthless advice offered as wisdom from the past, but it only adds to his suffering. Job says that his friends plaster over the truth with simplistic cliches and they act like incompetent doctors unable to bring healing to him. For now, he would like them to be silent and listen to the case he has prepared against God. Like a good attorney, Job believes that if God would ever show up, he would state his case to God and be vindicated before him and before those who now look at him with pity and disgrace. Going up against God is admittedly risky, but Job is ready to defend his innocence right to God's face. But it all seems useless, given that God has not shown up and apparently will not show up. But if God did appear, Job would ask him to articulate the ways that Job has sinned against him. Why is God treating him like an enemy and not like a friend? Job won't hide like Adam from God's probing questions. Job just wants to know why is he suffering. In chapter 14, Job recognizes that he's not the only one who suffers in this way. All human beings, both good and bad, are faced with multiple troubles throughout their lifetime. Every person's life is as short as the flowers of the field or the shadows that disappear when light breaks in. So why does God even bother with humans at all in their insignificance? Some parts of creation, like certain trees, if they're cut down, they have the potential to sprout again and have new growth, but not humans. When humans die, Job says, they do not rise again. Even if Job does end up in Sheol, he hopes that God at some point in the future would bring him back from the dead so that he could be vindicated with God and by God. Even though to this point Job is longing for Sheol, for death, it makes his suffering that much worse knowing that if he would die, he would die the death of the guilty. Unfortunately, human life is not like the tree, but like the mountain that crumbles away and is eroded by passing time and the elements of life. There's no way to bring back what is gone. Chapter 15 begins the second cycle of speeches. The speeches from Job's friends follow the same order, only this time the tone is considerably harsher. Job has touched a nerve in his first set of responses to which the friends feel that they must respond with a passionate defense. Eliphaz has had some time now to listen to his colleagues' speeches and to think about Job's responses. Unlike his first speech, there's no complimentary or empathetic opening. Eliphaz goes directly on the attack. He essentially calls Job a quasi-blaspheming windbag. A wise person would not speak the way that Job is speaking. For Eliphaz, God expects devotion from his people, not complaints. Even if Job was not wrong before, his words questioning God have now put him in the wrong. And, by the way, Job is far too young to be questioning the wisdom of his elders. Apparently, Eliphaz was older than him. And questioning the wisdom of the ages. Exactly who does Job think he is? The friends are speaking out of their gray hair and wisdom, but Job out of his youthfulness and rebelliousness. If Job's not careful, he will face the many calamities, physically, mentally, emotionally, and socially, that impact the wicked. Clearly, some of those have already come his way, but if Job does not begin to re-examine his life and submit to God's judgment, more harsh realities await him. 
Years ago, I was driving a young woman home after I had just taken her to the mortuary to see the body of her boyfriend, who'd been killed the day before in a terrible car accident. We were stuck in Southern California traffic. She was looking out the window, and she had not spoken since we left the funeral home. Without turning to look at me, she asked me a question. She said, Do you think all these people driving in all these cars are aware that they're going to die someday? I think I responded, Yeah, they probably do, but they probably don't want to think about it very often or for very long. A little while later, she asked, Is it okay if I hate God? I replied, I think it's fine. He's big. He can take it. And by the way, I'm pretty ticked off at him today, too. There's been a recognition in recent years by biblical scholars of the vast amount of lament texts that are in the Bible. Whatever else lament does, it tells us that God can handle our complaints, even complaints against him. Often, like Eliphaz, we want to defend the honor and goodness of God, which is natural. However, when we do that with the Jobs in our lives, we often end up adding a sense of guilt and shame upon them for the anger and hurt that they feel and add that to the suffering they are already experiencing. Job is essentially asking his friends if it's okay that he's mad at God and would like to take God to court and accuse him of misbehaving. Is it okay for Job to be mad at God and perhaps even hate God in this moment? Apparently the God of Eliphaz is too small and insecure to put up with Job's anger and grief. Our God is not that small. So read these texts carefully, looking for things you've not seen before, and journal your thoughts, your questions, and even your laments. Tomorrow, we keep reading. We're reading chapters 16 through 18, and we're adding Psalm 66. I'll talk to you tomorrow.